Well, good Sunday morning to everybody. I want to say thank you for joining us here on the podcast. As this morning, we are going to begin a brand new series entitled Hope in a Hopeless World. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to go to Revelation chapter 1 uh, with me. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I put out a short informal survey on social media. I just had one question. It was this. When you think about the book of Revelation, what is the one word that comes to mind? Now, honestly, the answers that were the most dominant are ones that I expected them to, to be. Uh, things like the end, um, confusing, uh, judgment were pretty much the, the top three answers there. You know, for decades, we have heard sermons about the judgment of God and the horror of events that will take place during the immediate uh, lead up to the return of Christ. Certainly, uh, judgments create images of horror in our minds, and in part, that's why John used as much imagery uh, in the book of Revelation as he did. Uh, that kind of ties into what we looked at this past Sunday, uh, during, our, our, during Wednesday service, excuse me, uh, and you can go check that out on YouTube uh, there. But the question is, is horror and judgment really the primary message of the book of Revelation? I would say that really depends on whether or not you have surrendered to the gospel of Jesus Christ or not. If you haven't, then the book of Revelation is a warning to you of what's coming, and it is truly a plea from Christ to turn away from your sin and surrender to the gospel before it's too late. But I'm also going to argue that that is not the main thrust of Revelation. The main thrust of Revelation, and a couple of people even shared it on social media, is victory. It is who Jesus is. So if you're a child of God, I would submit to you that the book of Revelation has a different message, not one of fear or judgment, because we've already passed from death into life. Our judgment was paid for by Christ on the cross. And so the book of Revelation then becomes a book of hope and encouragement that a better day is coming. So the goal, as we're going to start this series, is going to be very simple. We don't want to just look at it from a pure pro prophecy standpoint. That's how most sermons and series in Revelation are geared. Rather, we want to look at its historical context. We want to study it through the lenses of its original audience. What would they have read? What would they have understood John to say? And then as we do that, we're going to be able to pull out some important applications uh, for us in today's world. So let me just go ahead and say up front that if you're looking for this series to explain every detail of the book of Revelation and its meaning as it relates to the events of today, I'm afraid you're going to be very disappointed. Our goal is going to be to rely on the Holy Spirit. We are only going to say what the Word of God says, and we're going to trust that the Spirit will give us a proper understanding and application of Revelation for our lives 
today. So let me go ahead and share with you the one big thing today, and it's this, that the book of Revelation was meant to encourage and give hope to Christians during difficult times. John wrote this book under persecution to a persecuted church, so we want to understand that. But let's begin Revelation chapter 19. I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity just to come together to study your word. Lord, to draw closer to you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would just lay down any preconceived notions we may have about the book of Revelation, uh, that we would not force our opinions or attitudes on the book, but rather, God, we would allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us, to teach us what was meant, not only in John's day, but much more in our day as we are living in difficult times. Lord, help us to see what you want to communicate to us. And so, Father, may we approach you humbly and your word humbly, understanding that we don't understand everything, not just in Revelation, but about all of Scripture. And so, Lord, we are entirely dependent on you. And so we ask, God, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word. Amen. So just a reminder that the book of Revelation was meant to encourage and to give hope to Christians during difficult times. So, you know, God laid this uh, message, this series on my heart uh, around the time that COVID-19 was beginning to affect things. For us, and I think it's important that we understand not only with COVID 19, but now there's so much political and uh, racial unrest. And the church is becoming front and center in some ways of this. And we know that it's only going to become more so uh, as time marches on. So we want to ask why. Can Revelation be an encouragement for you and I as Christians today? I think there's three reasons here in the first three verses, and then uh, we're going to flip over to chapter 19 towards the end and talk about another reason before we apply it. But the first thing that we should note is that Revelation gives hope because it reveals Jesus. There in verse 1, it tells us what the entire book of Revelation is about. It is about Jesus. It is giving us a complete picture of who Jesus is. And again, we studied this on Wednesday night. You can see it on YouTube. Uh, It's titled Wednesdays uh, at Westlake, uh, June 3rd, uh, 2020. It's Unlocking Revelation. Uh, But John's writings 
give us a complete picture of who Jesus is, and we see it finalized here in the book of Revelation. A lot of people get caught up and they feel confused and sometimes overwhelmed by trying to figure out what all the symbols mean in the book of Revelation. But we have to understand that Jesus is the primary focus of Revelation, not future events. Now, how do we know that? Because we see a picture, a very clear picture of who Jesus is while we don't have every detail of future events. So what's the uh, picture of Jesus that Revelation reveals? Well, chapters 1 through 3 is Jesus as the exalted priest king who is ministering to his church. Chapters 4 and 5 is Jesus in heaven as a glorified lamb who was slain and risen. In chapters 6 through 18, Jesus is the judge of all the earth. Chapter 19 is Jesus is returning as the conquering king. And then chapters 20 to 22 is Jesus uh, as the king ushering his bride into his heavenly city and making all things new. And so from the first verse all the way through the book of Revelation, it is revealing who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he is going to do. The second reason that this book can give us hope is because it shows that God is all-powerful and he is all-knowing. Not only does verse 1 tell us who the book is about, but it reveals one of his attributes, really two, his all-powerfulness and his all-knowingness. Notice what it says in verse 1, to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. So this is God revealing the future before it happens. Now, only somebody who truly knows what's going to happen can tell you about it before it happens. This reminds us of what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 46 verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. You know, a lot of times we get frustrated because we have things that we want to do or we want God to do them for us. And sometimes we pray and God's answer is no and we, we become frustrated. But what you and I need to remember this morning is the fact that it is God's will that is going to be accomplished, not necessarily my plans. And this ought to be encouraging for you and I because it tells us how everything is going to play out. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot recently about when you and I make decisions, we try to make decisions based on what's good for us here and now with the limited information that we know. But God is not limited to this moment. God, who transcends all time, he knows the end from the beginning, Isaiah says. And so God's will is playing out for his glory and our good ultimately in the end. And so life isn't going the way that we thought it would. 
You know, we shared last week that nowhere on my calendar for 2020 was let's take two and a half months or so and be quarantined and, and not be able to meet as the body of Christ in person. But it doesn't mean that God didn't have a plan and a purpose for it. So things may not be going well right now, but God has already revealed here in Revelation how it's going to end. So we can have hope that it's going to be okay. That it may not be okay, but God is going to work it out. What did Paul say in Romans 8? We know that all things work together for good. Okay, So God is busy working out his plan and his purposes that will bring him the most glory. The title of the book, Revelation, it tells us what the book is going to do. The word revelation means to reveal or to unveil something. Now again, this is where a lot of people uh, become frustrated and, and confused uh, and at times even scared uh, of the book of Revelation. They get caught up in trying to figure out every detail of the book. But God is telling us that he's going to reveal what's going to happen from John's time until eternity. And you and I have to be okay with God not giving us a step-by-step, blow-by-blow, every detail of what's going to transpire. All we need to see and to know is how it's going to end. And then we can take the hope and the encouragement that God is going to work all things out. But it ultimately means, why why did God reveal how everything was going to end? He did it so that we could be prepared for what was coming and so that we could understand the book. Listen, God doesn't want Revelation to remain a mystery to you. He wants you to see who Jesus is, to know what he is going to do and how he is going to bring it to an end. And so God wants you to know him, and he wants you to know the meaning of his word. The third reason that we see that Revelation can give us hope is because it promises a blessing to those who read and obey. There is a strong correlation throughout Scripture to our love for God being proven by our obedience to God. And so a lot of times people want to say, well, Revelation promises a blessing if I just read it. Well, that's not what the verse says. It says, read it, hear it, obey it. Okay, Proof that I understand something is I do it. You know, I want you to imagine that uh, someone who speaks a foreign language uh, comes up to you and they're your boss and they're talking to you and they're looking at you like, okay, do you understand? Now, 
If you nod your head yes, then they believe that they have communicated with you. But what if you didn't actually understand a word that they said? What good did it do for them to talk to you if you didn't understand it? And how can they know that you actually understood what they said? Because you'll go do it. And so this is one of the biggest things that you and I have to understand is the evidence of our love for Jesus isn't by saying, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus. (coughs) Proof that we love God is we obey him. That's why Jesus says in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. Uh, John circles back to this um, blessing through obedience at the end of Revelation. Uh, 22, verse 14 says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. So blessed or happy are those that obey what Jesus has taught. And the fact that we do that is proof of our salvation. That's what it, the rest of the verse means. Uh, this is seen also in James chapter 1, verse 22, where he writes, To be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So what was James getting at? That if I say I love Jesus, but I don't obey him, and I still think I'm right with God, I'm deceived. It's not enough to go to church. It's not enough to read your Bible. It's it's not enough for what we do. It's surrendering to the grace of Jesus Christ and evidence of that is my obedience to Christ. You know, when a person reads the Bible, the primary thing that is happening is a transferring of information. But we need more than transferring information. We need transformation. We need to be changed into the image of Christ. And that is the work of the Spirit that he does as we read the Word and obey it. Now, what is our motivation to obey Scripture? It's given there in verse 3. He said, for the time is at hand. So John is saying that the things that he is writing about, they're going to come to pass. It doesn't mean that it was all going to happen in John's time. Some of it was going to happen in his time, and some of it is for a later time. But it's the primary difference we see from the uh, scroll in Daniel, where God has revealed uh, the end times, much of what you read in Revelation to Daniel, But at the end of Daniel, God says, seal up the words of the prophecy. The time's not at hand. Now, here in Revelation, God tells John to do the exact opposite. He said, don't seal it up. Okay, The time is at hand. So, we want to understand that God has given us the book of Revelation to know him, to know his plan so we can be prepared, so we can obey him. And I think this is an important truth as well. The word read in verse 3 means specifically to read aloud. 
a lot of churches shy away from teaching the book of Revelation. Yet we see in the opening of the book that we are told to read it aloud. Make it part of corporate worship. Don't neglect this book because it has an important message. It serves as a warning to the lost and to the disobedient, but it also serves as an encouragement to Christians. Yes, bad things are going to happen according to Revelation, but when we arrive at the end of the book, we see this glorious hope in the person of Jesus Christ. Which leads us to the last point before we're going to apply the scripture this morning. And for that, let's go to Revelation chapter 19. So Revelation 19, starting in verse 1, says, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and and as the voice of many waters, as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice. And give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife had made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So here's the final reason that the book of Revelation can give us hope this morning. And it's this, that in the end we win because Jesus one, by his death on the cross, the penalty for sin was paid. By his resurrection, it proves that God has approved and accepted his sacrifice and that he alone is given the right to grant forgiveness and redemption. And so, Because Jesus rose from the dead, because Jesus died but didn't stay dead, that means that this life is not all there is to it. That there is an eternity that each of us are going to step in to the moment we breathe our last. And if we have surrendered to Jesus Christ, we have no fear of judgment or death because we have passed from death into life by the grace and to the glory of God. You know, here in verse 19, it it opens with a praise and worship service erupting in heaven. And this praise and worship service comes because Jesus has destroyed the false religious system in chapter 17. 
He has destroyed the false socioeconomic system in chapter 18. Literally, the Lord God is reigning. He has defeated any and all foes. So once again, what we see is the focus of the praise and worship is not the worshipers themselves, but rather the one that they are worshiping. The focus is Jesus, who he is, and what he has done. I love a a comment by a guy known as Pastor John. He says, quote, In worship, we often fail to remember that God is the primary audience. We are not to design worship to please a crowd. We engage in worship in order to please God. I think this is such an important lesson for churches to learn. That if worship in heaven is going to be about Jesus, and our life here on earth is just kind of a warm-up, of what we're going to be doing in heaven, then when the church gets together to worship, it shouldn't be about our preferences. It should be about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. An amazing thing about this text here in Revelation 19. The book of Revelation is the only place in the New Testament that where the word hallelujah is used. There are four different uh, hallelujahs in this text. And it's all pointing to what Jesus has done. And so what we see is these first two hallelujahs of Revelation 19 is showing how Jesus was the Passover lamb. It's pointing us back okay, into the Old Testament. But then these final two hallelujahs in Revelation 19 are because Jesus reigns. He is defeated the Antichrist, and he has destroyed that false kingdom. And now the true kingdom of God is coming to earth. So what all this means for you and I is that we should be rejoicing and celebrating who Jesus is and what he has done, but also what he is going to do. The message of the book of Revelation is a message of hope, and it's victory for us. So how can I live this out during this week and beyond? Well, I would say it's real simple. Be prepared and be obedient. See, the most pressing question for you this morning is this. Are you prepared for your death? You know, the Bible teaches for all of sin to come short of the glory of God, and that for the wages of sin is death. So death is a part of our life. Are you prepared for it? Trusting and knowing that Scripture teaches that there is an eternity that we will all step out into at the moment of our death. Are you ready for it? The only way to know that you're prepared beyond the shadow of a doubt is having surrendered to the grace of God and trusted in the gospel as the only way to be saved. If you're trusting in who you are or what you do to be good enough, you're going to come up dreadfully short 
And unless you turn in faith to Christ now, then I fear you will wake up to the reality that hell is real when it's too late. I don't know how much longer you have. I don't even know how much longer I have. The point is not to know how much time we have, but rather to be prepared for when our time runs out. The second aspect of this, uh, of being prepared, is being obedient. Please don't trust just what you say about Jesus and say what you believe to be the only evidence of your salvation. There ought to be a proof in how you live when people see you and I living out in public, when they hear us speaking, they should be able to hear the words of Jesus. They should see the heart of compassion we have for all people. Or we just might be deceived about our standing with Jesus. Too many people believe that as long as they walk an aisle and, or, or repeat a prayer, that they're, they're good with God. They, they got their insurance for eternity, and, and so they're going to be okay. But the Bible paints a very, very different picture that those who are genuinely saved live it. A true disciple who has been saved by God's grace will live in loving obedience because of what Jesus did for him. At the end of a parable that Jesus uh, taught in Luke 18, he asks a very pointed question. And the question is this, when the Son of Man, reference to Jesus, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? The faith that Jesus was talking about was persistent prayer and consistent obedience. When Jesus returns... Will he find those things in us? Or are there some things that we need to confess to him this morning? You know, the return of Christ has always been a popular topic for Bible teachers and, and Christians alike. They, they want to dive into passages like Matthew 24 and 25 and John 14 and 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4. Of course, a lot in the Old Testament and Revelation as well, but they're always searching for clues as to when is Jesus going to return. Yet Jesus clearly says of that day and hour, no one knows, only his Father. The truth is that the return of Jesus has been imminent ever since his ascension back to heaven 40 days after his resurrection. At any moment after that, he could have returned. And when he returns, the Bible says that we will give an account for our life. We will either answer for our rejection of him, or we will answer for how obedient we were to him from the moment he saved us on. One way leads to the eternal presence of God and joy forever, and the other leads to eternal separation, pain, and suffering, and remorse apart from God. 
Which way are you headed? What does your life reveal about what you believe about Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and opportunity to study it. God, I want to pray for each person who's going to be a part of service, um, watching on YouTube, uh, listening to this podcast. God, my ultimate prayer is that they are ready for your return. But Lord God, if they're not, I pray that you would remove the veil of deception from their eyes, that they would no longer hear the lies of Satan, but they would hear the truth that comes from you, that they are still dead in their sin, unable to save themselves, but in your love and grace, you sent Jesus to die in our place. That if we would turn from our sin and surrender to your grace and your grace alone, that you would save us and that you would make us one of your children who can have hope and joy in life, regardless of what happens. Father, I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that we would be obedient, that we wouldn't just be known by our love, by our love for you by our words, but that our love for you would be evident by how we live our life. And God, if there's a way that we need to confess and bring into conformity to your word, I pray that your spirit will lay it on our hearts even now that we could cry out to you, knowing you will not turn us away, knowing that you will help us. Father, we give this time to you and we pray that you would be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say thank you again for joining us today. If you would like to know more about what it means to be a Christian or how to begin a walk with Jesus or how to come back because you've strayed uh, far away or there's a way we can pray and help you overcome some sin that's in your life, please reach out to us. You can reach out to us on social media at uh, Westlake Baptist Church or you can reach out to me personally at Pastor Justin at westlakebaptist.org. Until next Sunday morning, I want you to know I love you, I'm praying for you, and let's be ready and obedient for Jesus' return.